Hello, ghostly listeners. You've got Jake here, and today is a very special episode. In fact, it's actually part one of two. And with this episode, we sit down with Ross Allison, the founder of A Ghost, the Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle Tacoma, as well as Spooked in Seattle. And he'll give us some tips on what it's like to run a paranormal ghost hunting type business. So with that, let's get into it and learn about offering a ghost tour, as well as being an author. Two main ways to increase your revenue as a professional ghost hunter. Hey, Ross, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine and dandy. How was Christmas for you? Well, the COVID Christmas is as <laughs> best as it ever could get, you know, <laughs> with the true. limitations that we all are suffering from. But uh, it was still nice. I got to see some of my family and, you know, hung out with our, our good and dear friend, June. Uh, so, Ross, today's subject is... Can you make a living as a ghost hunter? And you, as someone who is a paranormal entrepreneur, has some experience in this. So if you could, would you give us a little bit background about how you went from ghost hunting to the this entrepreneur, if I could talk, right? Entrepreneurial. <laughs> <laughs> you can make up words if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how'd you turn your ghost hunting into a business? Let's get real. Give me the background on that one. Well, you know, if you would have come to me, you know, like, you know, 20 years earlier and said, hey, Ross, you know, you're going to be, you know, a full time ghost hunter, I probably would have laughed at you because, you know, 20 years ago, it was not even considered to be a career opportunity. You know, ghost hunting was not as hip as it is today. In fact, most people pretty much would laugh at you if you were a ghost hunter. So for me, you know, my passion has always been this fascination with ghosts. Uh, I loved good ghost stories. I loved watching, you know, the the movies, the the, the shows that, that were out there, not, you know, the ghost hunting shows. There weren't ghost hunting shows back then, but you had shows like, you know, Haunted History or Unsolved Mysteries where they dabble in, you know, ghost stories every, you know, so often. So, you know, for me, I never imagined that my life would actually move to the fact that I would be a full-time ghost hunter. I, back then I was, you know, in uh, retail. So I was a retail manager. Um, but I think it, what really uh, motivate, motivated me to do it was the fact that once I started my group, uh, a ghost, the advanced ghost hunters of Seattle Tacoma, it really did start to take off and very quickly because, you know, we were one of the first ghost hunting groups in the Northwest and so we started getting a lot more attention and, um, and the demand for ghost hunts back then where it was uh, a lot. I mean, we were busy every weekend doing, you know, one to two, two ghost hunts every weekend. So it was, it was crazy. It really was. And so it's really started to eat up a lot of my time. And I was, you know, getting frustrated because, you know, being in retail, you kind of had to work weekends. And I, it was getting harder and harder to, to get the time off. So I basically had to just quit my retail job. And um, I wanted to pursue something in this field. I didn't know what exactly. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I, I had a little bit of a, a nest egg to, to kind of, you know, live off of that for a little bit uh, until I decided one of the things I first wanted to do was um, ghost tours. 
uh, being that I was traveling a lot as well, um, I was always, you know, taking the local ghost tours and I started to find um, my biggest frustration with the ghost tours was they tend to make up a lot of stories or dramatized stories because their main focus was to scare people because it was a ghost tour and being a ghost hunter it, you, you hear a lot of these amazing stories of these places. And, and for me, it's like, oh, my God, I want to ghost hunt this place. And so I'd contact, you know, the owners. And as I was, you know, doing the interviews and research, I found out a lot of the stories that they were telling on the ghost tour weren't real. And even the people that own the place were telling me, yeah, these stories aren't real. And it was just such a letdown. And so as I started to do more and more research and I was working on my book, um, Spooked in Seattle, um, I had all this information, these stories and this, these evidence that we had collected from our own personal investigations. And so that just kind of inspired me to develop a ghost tour of Seattle. And so I took, you know, the research that we were doing and my main focus was to tell the real stories uh, get people inside haunted places and hopefully have experiences. And so for me, that was the big start in my career in ghost hunting. So I went from retail to, to ghost tours. Um, and then I started writing more books because I, I love doing the books as well. And, and again, my, my main focus has always been the open honesty in this field. Um, cause granted, you know, as many amazing places that I've been to the deepest, darkest, scariest places that you could imagine, I could tell you some, you know, grand, you know, stories of ghosts, but to be honest with all my research, I found that a lot of these stories weren't true. And so I felt as, as a writer and a researcher, I needed to get that out to people. I needed to to put an end to a lot of these, you know, false stories. And so that was another thing that kind of inspired me to, to write books. Because another thing too, um, somebody had told me one thing that's that was that really stuck with me. It's like once it's published, it's forever. And I started to realize that that research, that material needs to be out there. And, you know, and so that's what really pushed me to, you know, to, to get out there and, and write a lot of these books. And then, of course, once I, I started writing the books, then I started getting asked to, to do lectures and teaching classes. And so yeah, I just found myself going down all these different avenues because mm -hmm. one hand fed the other. Mm -hmm. And here I am, uh, a full-time ghost hunter. So let's step back because this is for our our the business thinking folks here is when it came to starting up the ghost tour, what kind of obstacles hurdles did you have to come around just to get that tour started up? And what are some things if someone's thinking of taking that route, they should understand before they, they get into that type of business. Well, for me, it was a little easier because you, you also have to understand that when I started doing a lot of this stuff, I was the first or one of very few doing this. Uh, so it wasn't so competitive that it is today. Um, when it came to the ghost tours in Seattle, there were, you know, there were only two other ghost tours, you know, the market ghost tour 
and um, there was a, another uh, bus tour um, at the time. And so I really didn't have to compete with anybody else. You know, I was very respectful. I knew that there was a market ghost tour. So I, I avoided the market because I did not want to, you know, start a fight with, you know, anybody else. Like, because people in the paranormal field are very territorial, uh, especially in the ghost tour uh, companies as well. They can get, get very territorial. So for me, it was all about, you know, well, okay, there's already a market ghost tour. So I'm going to go around the wa the water and go around the market and tell different stories and respect the market ghost tour. So, so that's one of the things that you do have to um, look into if you're looking to start a ghost tour, you know, be respectful of the fact that there are people out there that may be in your area also doing tours you know, find out what they're doing, maybe introduce yourself and maybe look at doing a tour that is not interfering with what they're trying to do. Um, and it's hard because again, a lot of these people do get competitive and it, it, it is a very competitive uh, business nowadays. Mm -hmm. So when it came um, to go ahead. quickly with, since we're on the, the topic of positioning your business. So in a way, it's the territory, but what else can you, you do to make your tour unique versus the competitors? Well, you do have to know what the competitors are doing. I, I think what made our tour more unique is the standard ghost tour will walk you around the area and point to locations and tell you some ghost stories. Uh, the worst ones are the ones that will point or, or talk about a place that is blocks away. They'll say, oh, just down the block at the end of the street, there's a house or there's a business. I hate that. If they're not going to take the effort to take you to that place and stand in front of it, don't bother. You know, I've been on a lot of tours that do that. Um, so, um, so as I said, the standard ghost tour will just walk you around and stand outside the businesses or the, the homes and tell you their stories. Um, I think what makes ours a little more unique is we take you inside some of the places. Uh, we give you the chance to experience them. We'll share evidence that we actually collected uh, from EVPs or even video clips. Um, so I think those are kind of the unique elements that draw in more people. And now, then plus it's run by real ghost hunters. Yeah. And that helps with the whole evidence thing. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful position to have versus competitors who are just, Hey, have some drinks. Let's walk around the <laughs> walk yeah. so, around the city. Yeah. So most ghost tours are just storytellers or even actors, you know, that have a side gig, you know, cause they're, mm. they're not you know on the stage performing. So you find a lot of that as well as with most tour guides or they tend to be actors. Now, one of the things, uh, and this comes up quite a bit, actually, with ghostly readers, they ask, well, how do I make these connections with the people that own or manage these haunted sites? How can I work with them, collaborate with them to have access for the ghost or haunting tour? Well, that, that's a tough one, because um, one of the things that you have to understand, um, th there's still an element where some businesses don't like to be labeled haunted, uh, especially hotels, um, because they do feel that it can affect um, their clientele. Some people don't want to check into a haunted hotel. Um, but surprisingly, and I, I try to remind them this, is um, 
ghosts are a hot commodity. In fact, I, I've learned this just from writing books that there are uh, a number of hotels that will uh, make up ghost stories and come to find out their most haunted room is their most expensive room. So, because a lot of people will book a haunted room, you know, years in advance to have the opportunity to have a paranormal encounter. So it's one of those things where I, I have come across uh, some of the businesses where they don't want, want to talk about the ghost stories. Um, you try to be respectful. Um, one of the things that uh, when you're standing outside of a business on the sidewalk, you can basically say anything you want to say. There's really nothing you can do it. Uh, free speech is basically as they put it. Um, but if you're on personally on their property, that's when they can come after you if they don't like what you're saying. Um, so always, um, for me, I've always, as, as I said, I keep things open and honest. You know, my, my idea is not to try and scare people. And I think that's where a lot of ghost tours tend to hurt a lot of businesses because their main focus is to scare people. And that's where, you know, sometimes they can draw, uh, drive away some of their business. So, for me, it's always try to keep it, you know, positive, engaging, exciting. Um, and so, I, again, I, I think that's the best part in trying to build your businesses um, with, you know, other business. When you're trying to build your business with other businesses, um, you definitely do have to have some sort of engaging uh, environment with the owners. Um, because, you know, again, as I said, one hand feeds the others. So if you have a good working partnership with the businesses that are on your tours, obviously um, they're going to promote you and hopefully give you more opportunities to hopefully bring in your tour into their business. Um, so definitely you want to, you know, reach out to the locations uh, that you would like to talk about. You also want to talk to the business owner and tell them your stories that you want to talk about because I, I've learned uh, just from doing that that some of the stories that you have uh, researched or have been told may not be what they're actually experiencing in the business and it's only going to hurt your tour if uh, you're promoting this location and of course, after the tour, they go to that location like, oh, yeah, yeah, we heard the story. We're so excited to meet this ghost and come to find out, oh, that's not what they're actually experiencing. So you do have to do your research. And that research is actually going into the locations and talking to the business owners, talking to the employees, finding what they're experiencing. So that's going to help out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that a lot of times most, most businesses are pretty open to talking about it. You know, especially when you, you're offering them an opportunity to promote their business. Mm -hmm. So that brings me up to the next question that I have for you. And that deals with what kind of, I mean, this is business, right? What's the rev share? I mean, ideally, they're going to get something, you're going to get something by doing this. What is that balance when it comes to the rev share, revenue share uh, between, say, your business and getting connected to one of these haunted locations? Well, I think for most of it, um, you're not really paying a lot of places to get into un unless um, they have, well, 
most places will let you go in for free um, because again, you're bringing business to them because you're encouraging people after the tours come back, you know, if it's a bar, come back, have a drink here. Um, there's very few times where you do have to share um, certain elements of your tour. Um, I have situ have had situations where I'll allow a certain business to sell tickets. And if they do sell tickets for the tour, um, then they get a certain percentage off the tickets. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, pub tours, um, you'd like to encourage, you know, them to get a drink when you bring them into the pub and, and you're talking about their ghosts. Uh, you may have to give them a certain percentage. You know, of course, you have to give them, you know, pay for the drinks because drinks legally aren't free. Uh, we've learned that lesson. You can't advertise, even though we were paying for the drinks, you cannot advertise free drinks. Um, uh, it may be different, you know, for each state. Um, but uh, it's one of the things that we learned. You cannot advertise free drinks. Um, so obviously there is a percentage that you have to pay for the drinks that uh, you'll be offering uh, on your haunted pub tours. That's good to know. Now, since we're on the topic of pricing, how do you go about pricing out what tickets would be for each one of your tours. I guess this kind of goes into another topic I'm interested in for our listeners, and that is how do you keep the tour fresh? Um, you know, since you've been running Spooked in Seattle for what's it been like? It's been a good 10 years, right? No, it's been going on, I think, almost 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, how, how, <laughs> how, I mean, you've learned a lot over there. Let's, so let's You're just talk about me, the, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with wisdom, maturity, and experience. Uh, so <laughs> when it comes to pricing out these tickets for tours, like, how do you go through that modeling? Well, you want to look at what other tours are charging um and be uh comparable to them never undersell your tour um because it's it's going to cause a cause a lot of problems um because it's not fair for a business that is actually you know doing the same kind of tours you're doing and you're undercutting them just to steal customers because we all have, you know, our own fees that we have to pay. You know, sometimes you have to pay rent. Sometimes you have to pay for advertising. And then you get a tour, new tour that just comes in and they're going to sell their tickets for the same kind of a tour, you know, for, you know, two hour tour, you know, you're going around to the same places. You're probably hearing the basically the same stories and they're going to charge, you know, $5 cheaper. That that's kind of, you know, nasty business. Um, you just want to be, you know, a, a fair, a fairly compare, compared, uh, com sorry, I'm, I'm having a hard time not talking to <laughs> you want to be competitive, um, at a fair level with all the other tours that are offering the same thing. So it's, again, it's just looking to see what all the other tours are charging. That's basically what I did. You know, I saw what the other tours were charging and I, I charged the same thing. You know, same price. Okay. So it's all very, very market-based. 
and it is and it changes from city to city you know i've been mm-hmm. you know is, i've taken some ghost tours in some cities and i i've paid you know 10 bucks for a you know 90 minute tour and then you go to some other cities and they'll charge you you know 15 you know some as some as high as 19 dollars as well so it really depends on the city you're going to as well uh, like if you go to new orleans a place that's you know notorious for being haunted they're probably going to charge a lot more uh, for their their ghost tours true now let's get back to the freshness question because you know spooked in seattle and that haunted historic tour through pioneer square how do you keep that fresh just so you know i've taken it like seven eight times because every time i bring a guest to seattle i'm like you want to learn about seattle let's do let's do the pioneer haunted pioneer square haunted tour but how do you keep the freshness up and when do you decide to revamp a tour well, you obviously, and you're a prime example, you get a lot of repeat customers. And I think for one, um, each tour guide um, has their own stories. We do not give out scripts. I do not believe in scripts because then, you know, like for you, an example, each time you take a tour with a different tour guide, you're going to hear the exact same story in the exact same way. And so I do not believe in scripts. We have our basic stories and they learn the stories and they'll tell it their own way. But then there's also a lot more. And so I always say you, you have to know the extra stories because as you're going around, you know, different things happen on different tours or you have different kinds of uh, people on your tour. A lot of times you'll be doing a tour and there'll be a lot of kids on your tour. So then you, you want to make it more kid friendly. Um, so I really push my tour guides. They have, they have to read the book. They have to, you know, know all the stories of Pioneer Square because there are some stories that we don't, that aren't the standard stories, but when you're doing a tour and you realize that your, your, your group might be, you know, more kids, then you have the, the kid friendly stories that you might want to throw on your tour because you know them, uh, or even some of the stops that might be more kid friendly. Um, so that I feel is very important is don't have a script, just have your basic stories, know where your stops are, your standard stops on your tour, but your tour guides do need to know all the other stories as well so they can customize their tour. Um, but also too, if you're going to haunted places, the stories are always going to change. There's always going to be new experiences. So my tour guides, and myself, we would always go in every so often and, and talk to the employees, you know, talk to the owners. Hey, what's happened recently? And so those will give you new stories and new experiences that you can add uh, to your tours as well. So those are what some of the ways to keep it fresh. Uh, me, I'm constantly always looking for new locations to add to the tours, uh, especially for the, the ghost hunts, because we offer, offer public ghost hunts. So I'm always keeping an eye out for new places that we can open that, that, that door revenue and experiences for uh, the tours. And one last question on the topic of ghost tours. What do you think is the best way to advertise and market your tour? That's a tough one um, because marketing can be very, very expensive. And in some ways uh, we haven't been able to afford some of the marketing uh, especially when you're you're paying rent for a location, um, that can be very expensive as well. So marketing, as we find, uh, the best way is you know online. You know, get your 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 name out there as much as possible. 
Uh, sharing links is also very important, especially if you're going to partner with a lot of businesses, you know, have the business uh, post a link uh, to your uh, website for your tours, have flyers. Flyers are an inexpensive way to get word out as well. We'll, you know, we'll produce a lot of flyers and then, you know, we'll take them to a lot of the businesses that are on the tour so that, you know, when people are at the pub, they'll see a flyer and grab it and say, oh, okay, they talk about this place. Um, but otherwise, when you get into to marketing, being featured in magazines and all that, uh, you're looking at, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a month. So that can be uh, extremely expensive. So I, I guess it really depends on, you know, how much money your, your, your tour is making uh, and how much you want to put into it. Uh, luckily for me, you know, I've got 15 years of running this uh, tour that uh, were pretty much well known. Um, so we've had a lot of, you know, stories, media cover us, and uh, a lot of the businesses are aware of us around the area as well. Okay, thanks for that. New subject, let's get back to your writing. And how did that come to be? Well, the writing was the fact that it all started with, well, my first book was uh, Ghostology 101, which I had written with Joe Teeples, who was my uh, VP at the time. And he was the one that told me, you know, that uh, once it's, it's published, it's forever, which was, to me, uh, became very important because I, I started to realize as I had been in the ghost hunting field for quite some time at, at that point, you know, we're looking at close to 30 years now, um, I started to see a lot of these groups, you know, popping up and, and disappearing, uh, because the average life expectancy of a ghost hunting group is about three years. Um, because it is all volunteer. People don't you know, realize that uh, we're not getting paid to ghost hunt or most of us aren't getting paid to ghost hunt. Uh, so it all comes out of our own pockets, our own time to, to do this. And so I started to, to realize that, uh, as I was trying to reach out to other groups, you know, in other States and having experience with other groups, you know, I'd reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, you remember that evidence that we collected at that, you know, that one hotel we stayed at, um, you know, I'd like to, to get a copy of that or be able to review that again, or, you know, find out some information about that. And then I go to, to their website or try to email them and they're gone. And I realized that evidence is gone as well. And so that was one of the, the main factors that uh, really pushed me to, to write the books. It's like we're seeing a lot of these experiences, a lot of this evidence disappear with a lot of these groups. Um, and, and so that was, that was hurting us. It, it was hurting the society of ghost hunting because we need to share that information. We need to know that when we investigate certain locations and we have certain experiences, that other people that have investigated these locations can share and validate those experiences as well. And so when that information is gone permanently or not out there for people to, to, to look at and review, then it only hurts us as a society uh, to, to research and further the advancements of ghost hunting. And so I felt it was really important that those stories needed to get published and so that was one of the main reasons. But then as I continued to do more and more research, I also started to find that there was a lot of uh, fake stories out there as well, or 
the um, some of the stories uh, had been altered um, from the the true facts or what really happened. And so, as I've always said, with every ghost story, there's always a root to it. You know, ghost stories change throughout the years, throughout the decades, because you know, like the the game, the telephone game. You know, one person will tell a story to one person, and that person will tell it to somebody else. And by the time it reaches the end of the line, it's not the original story. Um, that's just how we we operate as a society. Um, so for me, it was really important too to get back to the root of the story of the experience and get that out there. And so those are the the main elements that really inspired me to start writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people tend to think, oh, you know, just because, you know, I'm going on book number 10 now, I can't believe I have 10 books. Um, but people think that, you know, you make a huge, you can make a living off of, you know, writing books and you, you really can't unless you know, you're, you're featured as a top, you know, 10, um, it, you will struggle. You know, you do need other jobs to <laughs> pay the bills. You know, you, Jake, have written you know, a couple books yourself. You know, do you think you could quit your job and just live off of that? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm on 10 books, you know, so, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a nice bonus check, you know, every, you know, few months that you'll get for writing books, but it's not enough to live off of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, okay. on that subject, let's get into making the living off the book. So for, for you, how i mean everyone wants to get published what was your journey to finding a publisher and and getting the books out to the masses well to be honest um it was a big struggle um because you have to remember when i started this ghost hunting was not the big thing um and 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 funny too is you weren't really considered an established, you know, paranormal investigator unless you had a book. So getting a book published was a big struggle. You really had to have a name for yourself. And at the time, I was still very fresh in the field. Um, I wasn't like the Warrens, uh, so I could, you know, just go out there and get a, a book deal. So my first book ended up being with, you know, Joe Teeples, and that was just self-published, and that was Ghostology 101, just some of the basics of ghost hunting. Um, so that, you know, um, was my first stepping stone was, you know, getting into the self-publishing. Now, you know, anybody can publish a book, you know, thanks to like Amazon, you know, you could just write your book and get it out there which is a lot easier, but back then it was still a lot harder. As ghost hunting started to become more popular, uh, thanks to the television shows, um, there were a lot of um, publishers that were looking to put out a ghost uh, series. Um, So there was a few of those uh, out there that were advertising for people that were ghost hunting so that they could put out a ghost book in each state. And so that is what led me to my my next opportunity as I, you know, being that I was an established ghost hunter in the Northwest, I had a publishing company reach out to me and say, hey, we would like to have a ghost hunting book in, you know, the Northwest area. Would you be interested? And so that's when I actually wrote uh, Spooked in Seattle. It was another avenue to, to, to do that. Um, and then once I did Spooked in Seattle, I continued to do you know my research and writing books, and that's where I I decided to go down a different avenue, and um, 
what happened was I, I had written my book, My Haunted Journal, and it was a basic ghost hunting book. And I had started putting it out there because I had already had, you know, a few books under my belt and I, I wanted to get that book out there because the problem with the, a lot of the ghost hunting books, you know, the how-to books was they were either too technical or too metaphysical. And so I wanted a book that was going to be more simple for the basic person who may be experiencing paranormal activity and not really know what to do or not really understand the elements of ghost hunting. But the other thing that, you know, my haunted journal was more unique was it also taught people to journal their experiences. Because remember how I talked about the route to a ghost story or an experience, uh, this was one of the elements to help us maintain that route because uh, I started to find that, you know, even when we were investigating a lot of haunted places, the clients tend to manipulate their stories or experiences to convince us that what they experienced was real. Their intent was not to lie to us, but they wanted to convince people that they were really having an experience. And so that's where the stories start to get altered. And so journaling was so important to me and I felt so important to the field that I wanted to get that out there. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote my haunted uh, journal. And I struggled so hard to get that book out because a lot of these publishing companies had already put out a how-to ghost hunt book. So I was a little late to the, to the table to present this element. And so I, I just sat on that book for such a long time. And then David Weatherly contacted me and David had already uh, produced a few books and he really loved my book, you know, Spook in Seattle. And he says, you know, how do you feel about working on a project together? And I, I said, sure, you know, it'd be an honor to, to work with David Weatherly. And so, um, we had come together, come to, up with the idea of doing haunted toys, and it was my idea to to make it into a series. And after we did haunted toys, I told him, you know, I said I have this other book that I haven't been able to get published. Uh, would you be interested in it? And so he said, sure, send it off to me. And so I sent it off to him, and he, and he loved it, and he saw the value in this book. And so that you know ended up really solidifying me and David's uh, relationship, and we really have been uh, working hard to do the Haunted series um, and a few other projects that we've done on site as well. So mm -hmm. once I, I hooked up with David Weatherly and found my publishing company that I was happy with, it just kind of took off from there. Now, since we're on the subject of publishing, let's let's talk about the revenue. <laughs> yes, the revenue. <laughs> it's always a big new. I mean, we know this stuff is niche. Um, and I will say from my personal experience, because I've written three books, one on ghost stories, one on how to ghost hunt, and one on some really nerdy technical stuff. Uh, and ghost stories sells like 10, 15 times better <laughs> than the other ones. So when you find that niche, it sounds like series are good. Um, but when it comes to making the money off of it, what are some tips for negotiating? Because different publishers and businesses do it differently. Some are a straight commission. Some are they pay you a flat fee for a book. So what do you think would be best for a new author 
in the space. Well, that's the problem is, you know, a lot of these uh, publishing companies are going to want to know um, how are you going to help sell the book? That mm-hmm. is the most important thing for somebody when they're going to sign you on to do a book is like, how are you going to help sell the book? Because a lot of companies aren't going to go out of their way to, you know, publish or to market your book. You know, they're hoping that they can just put it on Mm -hmm. the shelves and your name will sell it alone. So if you do not have yourself established, um, that's going to really affect you. Um, So if you're not established, you're probably going to look at a situation where you're probably going to have to self-publish for a little bit and build up your audience, uh, build up your name, your credibility as a writer. Um, so that is a big thing to, to consider. Um, in most cases, you know, even though I had established a name, you know, that's what helped me, you know, get, you know, Spook in Seattle on with a, you know, a more notable publishing company. Um, I went on to a different one and I'm not going to say names, but, uh, there's one book that I published through another company and I have not received one penny for that book. And that Mm -hmm. book's been out for quite some time yet. And every time they send me, you know, the stats on, you know, how many have sold, they always have an excuse as to why they can't pay me at the end because, you know, this and such, you know, sold. So you didn't reach this amount. So we're not going to, so it's just been a nightmare, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. just one of those things you just kind of have to make a wash and say, okay, move on. Um, Yeah, I I would say I have heard that quite a bit where not necessarily, I mean, we know about not getting the commissions. Uh, It's kind of like record deals back in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But one of the things is about they want, they being the publishers, want you to be the draw so they don't have to work so hard to sell your books. And I find Um, And we're going to talk about the media side, media production side in a little bit. But I find that's why the folks on the ghost hunting shows have such an easy time because they come with a built-in audience and they can figure out how many units will be sold. They don't have to work as hard uh, to, to get the, to get the book sold. And and it's kind of sad. It's that way too, because I travel all over the U S all over the world. And there were a few of the companies that I, that I had worked with publishing companies and I had gone to them and said, Hey, I would like to write a book about, you know, new Orleans. You know, I've been to new Orleans quite a bit. I've investigated a lot of places in new Orleans. You know, I've got some great evidence and great stories that I could, you know, put into this book. And they're like, well, do you live in new Orleans? No, I live in the Northwest. Well, no, unfortunately, you know, we're not interested. So they wanted to skip, you know, me because I did not live in New Orleans because I wasn't going to be in New Orleans to help market and sell the book. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. They wanted local people to write the stories about their, you know, their haunted places. And that's where I found that was a big mistake because then you, you find a lot of these people that were just writing the books had no interest in the paranormal. They just had an opportunity to write, oh, oh, here's a company that's looking for, you know, authors to write about, you know, the ghosts of, you know, New Orleans. So there's really not a lot of heart and soul that goes into a lot of these books or even the the correct research. Uh, So that's why you have a lot of these books, you know, with authors that have no, you know, interest in the paranormal uh, doing a lot of these books just because, you know, this 
the publishing company wanted to have a series that covered all the different states <laughs> and all the different cities, you know? And so that was kind of frustrating for me because, you know, I, you know, had the opportunity to, or, or the desire to write about all these different places. And I couldn't because, you know, they didn't want that. They wanted somebody local to do it. And so that was another, you know, big, uh, spark for working with david weatherly because me and david do both travel a lot and so we had these experiences at all these amazing places and now you know we're not limited to just writing in our region you know we can write about any place that we've ever been to and so that's why our series haunted covers you know all over the u.s mm -hmm. so i think we should talk about the self-publishing side of the house because I'm a self-published author. But the reason why I did that is using Amazon as the ex example. It's just the distribution is so easy. And the commissions you get, at least in the case of Amazon, they're very upfront about what you're going to get based on how long the book is and how much you're you're charging for it because they don't set the price. You set the price. You pretty much do everything. I think that's one of the things is you have to market it yourself. You know, the chances you get a much higher commission, which is if, if you're pricing your book at like $2.99, your Kindle book, like you're going to make 70% off that as a commission. And that sounds really good to a new author, but I don't think they understand how difficult it is to market a new book. And that's a big thing too, is um, marketing plays a big part of it. You have to do all the work when you self-publish. And so if you aren't that individual, you know, luckily for you, you have a, a popular website. And I also want to say kudos to the fact that you did, you know, put out your books because now it's forever. Mm. You know, your website's only going to be around as long as you're around to, to support it. Mm -hmm. feed it but once your time is gone you know the website's gone and all that work that you have done is gone but now that you've published it's forever so you know so i'd encourage anybody like in in your in your in your shoes like you know if you've been putting all this work into a website you've written all this you know amazing research you do publish it get it out mm -hmm. there in a book i did blog a book people so <laughs> i mean don't <laughs> underestimate blogging and using the web even though yes the the books do read like articles from my website that's because they are <laughs> but but that that's still a smart move for you because like i said your website's only gonna be around as long as you are mm -hmm. so now your your research is forever because it'll continue on your books will continue on after you're gone as long as there's somebody willing, you know, to buy them. Yeah. You know, so I think that was a very, very smart move for all the work that you've done so far in this. So uh, on the topic of writing still, so Ross, you're working on a new book. What else do you have planned for your haunted series? Oh my God. We have a whole huge list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you name it, we pretty much have it on the list, you know, from hospitals to islands, you know, we're, we're working on it quite a bit and I don't want to put everything out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, the series I, I, I find it's, it's been fun to work on. Um, and, and I think, uh, our, our success also stems from the fact that, uh, we have no problem saying 
that this story is not true. Um, and I think that helps to make us more credible as paranormal investigators is, you know, it's fun to tell a creepy, scary ghost story. But if that creepy, scary ghost story is not real, I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. <laughs> We've had to debunk a lot of stories out there that have been told for decades that are really good stories. But um, I, I I want the the truth to be out there for people because, you know, if I'm going to call myself a paranormal investigator, I have to go off the reality, off the facts, off of what's really going on out there to help us better understand the paranormal world. And you can't, as I've always said, you can't use the paranormal to prove the paranormal. And if you're basing your research off of fake stories, uh, you know, and you may not know they're fake, Urban legends, yeah. Right, or urban legends, you know, then you're not really helping to advance us in any way. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think is best for a new paranormal, I'll say nonfiction author, because if you're doing paranormal fiction, I mean, you'd be following a Stephen King pathway or a Clyde Parker pathway, yeah. But for the new nonfiction author, do you think it's best to write your first book first? Or try to seek out a publisher with just an outline. You know, I just write your first book first, you know, because it's so much easier if you are trying to look for a publisher, you have the material. Because one of the things, if they are even slightly interested in you, they're going to want some examples of your material. Um, So if you already have that done, then you're halfway there. Mm hmm. So if you've already taken the time to do the work, um, you can, you know, try to sell it to a publishing company. Just realize you're not going to make a lot of money off of it. The standard is 10% is what you make off of each book that you sell. Um, so that is a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll go up as you get more and more books out there, as, as long as they're asking for more and more books from you. Um, then you can obviously get that uh, percentage up. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you're going to look at 10%, which is not a lot, honestly, for a book. Um, and then, of course, if you've already written the book, then go ahead and you can't get somebody to publish it for you. Then you have the opportunity to publish it yourself. And as you said, you can make 70%. Mm-hmm. But again, you got to do a lot more work because you now have to market yourself. Yeah. And the other thing you can do, especially if you're, if you like to write a lot, like I do, um, and mind you, I'm not promoting Amazon. It's just, that's the biggest source for book sales. And if you do the Kindle unlimited thing, you get a commission off pages read. It's only a buck for every 250 pages. So it behooves you to write a lot. <laughs> because that 250 pages could be from any combination. It doesn't have to be a single book. So there's another revenue stream. And I know, I know authors who write fiction that do this quite a bit. They will publish a novella every two or three months. But I would say get a good editor if you're new because uh, they'll really yes. help. Yeah. Editing is a big thing. And it's sad, too, because with uh, Spooked in Seattle, um, they obviously didn't have a good editor for my book. 
And so I, I've received a few bad uh, reviews because of uh, poor editing. Hmm. You know, you, you want to trust them that when you give them the book that they're going to do a, you know, a perfect job. Um, but obviously that's not the case too. Yeah. And my, my mistake is I didn't go back and review my book, you know, mm -hmm. after they had edited it. So, you know, you learn from your mistakes. Very true. And so I would say, if anything, the biggest advice I could give anyone is get an editor, but get a real editor because a lot of times they'll just like proofread it looking for typos and punctuation mistakes. You want an editor that knows content, how to sculpt content structure right. the book for the narrative flow stuff like that and i know we're talking right. nonfiction, but i'm like you know even a magazine editor because most ghost stories that you're going to run into they're short stories right they're gonna be three to four pages tops like a magazine magazine editors i find are very good at sculpting the kind of books that ross and i write yeah because you have to understand that they're only limited a certain word count mm -hmm. and uh that's where you have to learn the craft and a lot of times you're going to go over in most cases, you're going to go over that word count. And so now they have to edit it down to fit within that space. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the magics of having somebody like that, because they can learn to what needs necessarily mm -hmm. needs to be cut and not lose the content of your story. Yeah. Or the, another thing is you could take um, online or a community college or something, take some basic journalism classes. It helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. In the second part of the interview with Ross, we discuss what it's like to get a TV deal, expectations for making any money off that TV deal, and then we also take a look into the lecture circuit, which you don't really hear about as much with ghost hunters, but there are universities and colleges that will pay to have you come out and give a lecture on a ghost, being a ghost hunter and doing ghost hunts, and how it may or may not be as lucrative as you think. So look for that one in about a week's time. Take care.